the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. So every time now we're going to try to heal someone in the name of Jesus and we're going to use mud. We're going we're to pack them down with mud. And Jesus would do things differently so that we wouldn't always just kind of approach him as this canned one way. You know, God does powerful, miraculous things, but he wasn't just wanting to be pigeonholed here. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he touched and healed. Sometimes he makes a, a solution out of mud. Jesus healed in many different ways. Sometimes he spoke, sometimes he touched someone. And today, he's going to use mud to restore sight to a man. It's incredible to read about this miracle of Jesus. But Pastor Gary has a reminder for you. Don't box Jesus in when it comes to how he heals. It can be too easy to look at something Jesus did and assume that's the only way he'll heal. That simply isn't true. God is still performing miracles today, and they look different every time. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John 9, the Gospel of John in your New Testaments, chapter 9. We come here as we're making our way uh, through John's gospel to this ninth chapter. The scene is Jesus is still in the temple area. This is just following the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he's in Jerusalem and he has this encounter here with a man who was born blind. And this entire chapter deals with this encounter and conversation. He's going to miraculously heal this man born blind. Uh, but But this guy who is healed is going to get some pushback from the religious leaders who don't accept the ministry of Jesus, and now they are going to, uh, in the end, excommunicate this guy from the church because what? He was healed by Jesus. So, you know, this is another twisted account of the Pharisees and religious leaders' view of Jesus, the way that they were constantly people of contempt toward Jesus. They were constantly trying to discredit Jesus. They don't believe in him, and they won't even accept his miracles, in spite of the fact that they are revealed right in front of them. And so here we are, chapter 9, verse 1, and it says, As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, and notice this question, these are from his disciples, okay? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now, this might seem like a spiritually mature question for especially the disciples to be asking. I mean, these are the guys that have been traveling with Jesus. These are the apostles. There are no B-apostles, okay? This is the A-team, and yet these are the guys saying, when they see a man born blind, who sinned? There must be sin behind this guy's life here, either him or his parents, that he would be blind here. The reason that they said such a thing is because there was a law in the day called the law of retribution that they believed. Now, it wasn't a law of God, but it was just kind of this this doctrine, this belief called the law of retribution. And basically, the law of retribution was that goodness meant blessing in your life and sinfulness meant suffering in your life. And it was not just simply restricted to first century this, this kind of a false doctrine dates back thousands of years. If you remember the story of Job, and the story of Job, although it doesn't obviously predate the creation account of Genesis, the book and the story of Job is thought to be older than the book of Genesis. And if you remember in the story of Job, the story of Job is basically the life of a man who, who had a life of suffering. And we have the perspective in the book of Job of knowing that the suffering condition was not related to his own sinfulness because the Bible says that he was upright. But it was because God had limited Satan's ability to torment this guy. And the big picture of the book of Job is for, for us to understand how to persevere through suffering, to remember that God is good and on the throne, and in the end, he makes all things good. But life itself can be full of suffering. And the problem is that Job's three friends thought that his suffering condition was the result of sinfulness in his life. It's this doctrine of retribution. And I'll read to you. You don't need to turn there. But back in Job chapter 4, I already marked it because I knew where I was going. And by the time you get there, I'll be done. So here you are in John 4, rather Job chapter 4. This is what Eliphaz the Temanite said, one of the friends, quote, of Job. Job 4, 7 to 9. He said, consider now. Who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they are destroyed. At the blast of his anger, they perish. Let me ask you a question. If you're going through a real difficult time, do you really want somebody coming to your house saying that? And basically what this guy is saying is, you know what? I've really never experienced in my life, and he's speaking, speaking from his own personal experience, I've never really experienced anybody in my life who hasn't been suffering, but for, for the fact that there must be sin in his or her life. And so, Job, there must be sin in your life. What's the sin in your life? God doesn't just punish people indiscriminately. He's punishing you for a reason. What's the sin in your life? Now, from the story of Job comes a practice that the Jews still practice today called sitting Shiva. And it was a time where, especially around the death of a loved one, the Jews will still practice this, where somebody will come and they will just basically sit for seven days. Shiva is the Hebrew word for seven, the root word for seven. People will come and just sit for seven days and they won't say a word because in your grief and in your mourning, the idea is we just want to come and come alongside of you, but we're not going to say anything because you know what? A lot of times when somebody is going through something difficult, We don't know what the right thing is to say. And it's better just to keep your mouth shut than to say the wrong thing. And so sitting Shiva is actually a good thing. Job's friends didn't understand how to sit Shiva. They were just 
always flapping their gums with senseless information, and they were just compounding the misery. Even Job's wife, what a sweetheart she was. She says to Job, you know, stop being a man of integrity. Why don't you curse God and die? Wow, what a sweetheart that is. You're in the middle of misery, and, and that's the advice of your wife. So, so he's got all these people who are saying these things. But the basis behind what they were saying in Job's life, same thing happening here in John chapter 9. People for many ages have believed that if you're suffering, it must be because there's some sin in your life, and God's trying to punish you. Now, is some suffering the direct result of sin in our lives? Yes. We can invite some suffering in our life because of sin. You abuse your body in some way, there will be some physical ramifications. I remember our pediatrician called, uh, called me here at the church about 10 years ago. And, you know, Marilyn says, you know, Dr. Zukowski's on the phone. I'm like, what in the world? You know, because you don't usually like the idea of your doctor calling out of the blue. It's not usually good news. And, and uh, so I answered the phone and, and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, you know, because he knew I was a pastor, he says, I have teenage children now, and I need some guidance on, on what to tell them so that they don't engage in premarital sex with their boyfriends and girlfriends. And I said, well, first of all, doctor, you have to understand that I'm coming from a biblical point of view, right? And which he shared, but, but I said to him, I said, let me just give you, I said, how many, you're a, you're a doctor, how many sexually transmitted diseases are there? And he says, there's dozens. You know, there's two principal ones, gonorrhea and syphilis, but there's dozens of sexually transmitted diseases. I said, all right, you have dozens of reasons right there to tell your kids. Because the fact of the matter is that sometimes if we engage in sinful behavior, we run the risk of harming ourselves, okay? And, and so some, some illnesses or suffering can be related to a violation of God's law, which is put in place for our good. When we violate it, we bring hardship and distress and sometimes suffering into our lives. That said, it is a wrong thing to think that every condition and every malady and every suffering that somebody is going through must be the direct result of sin in their lives and God is punishing them. That is a cruel thing to think and certainly even more cruel to say to someone. Because nobody knows what the reason is for what they're going through. And even as it relates here to blindness, the disciples have associated blindness with sinfulness because they believe this doctrine of retribution. Now, they're interested in why did he get like this? They have to learn to be more concerned about how can we help someone who's in this condition. So, th- so they're very infantile in the way they're approaching this. It would be like, you know, let's say, that you, you know, you fall down your steps, all right, and you're lying at the bottom of your steps, and maybe you've broken your leg, and, and I happen to come knocking to the door, and there you are, the, you have a glass front door, and there you are laying at the bottom of your steps. And I come in and I say, well, what in the world happened to you? I fell down the steps. I think I broke my leg. You broke, well, what were you, were you running down the steps or were you walking down the steps? I was walking down the steps. What, 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 what did you have on socks or did you have on shoes? Cause you know, socks are slippery. Why would you be walking down the steps with socks? Well, I, I had on bare feet. Actually, that's what all, what I had was bare feet. Well, were, were you holding the railing as you were walking down the steps or were you just, you know, jolly well, just running down the steps without hold on? If I were to say all of that, you'd be angry with me because all I want to know is 
Why did you get like this? Instead of, how about I help you up, maybe take you to the doctor's? And that's what the, that's what the disciples are, are doing right here. They're like, how did he get like this? Instead of, what can we do to help him? How can we minister to him? Lord Jesus, maybe, would you heal him? No. They're like, who sinned, Jesus? This guy or his parents, and he was born blind. I don't know why I just cocked my lips with that, but it, <laughs> I guess because it just kind of sounds like an ignorant question, so I might as well cock my lips off to the side. But anyway... But so, so here's, so Jesus replies here in verse three, he's going to set him straight on this. This is not a a true doctrine. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Isn't that a beautiful response? It's like, you know what? Sometimes the suffering that we go through that is, quote, unexplainable, other than the fact we live in a sinful world, okay? And the result of a sinful world means that at times, even unrelated to sinful behavior in our lives, we will suffer. It's the condition of a fallen world. This isn't heaven. Uh, We long for heaven, where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. For the old orders of things have passed away, and behold, he makes all things new. We wait for that glorious day. That's heaven. This is not heaven right now. And so people who haven't brought on suffering as the direct result of their own sinfulness, nevertheless, we all may experience different levels and degrees of suffering in our lives because we live in a sinful, fallen world, and that's the byproduct of a sinful, fallen world. And the beauty is that even in our suffering, God delights to show himself strong. He delights to display his glory in our suffering. He delights to show his grace and his power. And sometimes his power will will be to do the miraculous. Amen? And sometimes his power will be, even as Paul said, he said, you know, I had this thorn in my flesh. And he said, three times I prayed that God might take it from me. But the Lord ministered to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And God will even display His glory by giving us the grace that we need to persevere through suffering if He doesn't choose to remove it altogether. And so He will display His glory in our lives if we would see Him and allow Him and invite Him that in the midst of our suffering, Lord, either do the miraculous and remove my suffering or give me the grace to persevere through it. And that's the faithfulness of God on display. And Jesus sets his disciples straight here. This guy didn't sin, and neither did his parents that he was born blind. But this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Stand back, boys. You're about to see the work of God displayed in this guy's life. Well, verse 4, he says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's one of the I am statements that he's already made. Verse 6, having said this, and note this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, there's an interesting method that Jesus uses here to heal this, this man's blind eyes. He spits, he uses saliva, mixes it with dirt, forms some kind of a, a muddy uh, you know, solution here, and then places it on the guy's eyes, and then tells him to go wash. People have wondered, 
why did he choose to do that? You know, and at different times, Jesus would just lay hands and heal the sick or speak a word and someone would be healed. Why mud? Why saliva? This is a little messy. Why would he do this kind of a thing? And there's two reasons likely behind why Jesus did what he did the way he did it. The first one is because remember that man, our humanity was fashioned, created out of the dust of the earth. And that God made mankind out of the dust. Literally, Adam, Adam was created. Adam in Hebrew means ruddy or red from the clay of the dirt. Mankind was created from the dust of the earth. Uh, Ask any scientist. The human body is made up of 17 chemical elements. Oxygen, hydrogen, and about 15 other trace elements. So we are... The exact makeup, the exact chemical composition of dirt. This may likely have been Jesus' way of identifying his identity with his divinity. That God is the one who fashions things and does miraculous things out of dirt. So as I'm fashioning this, you know, it can be inferred that Jesus is saying, as I'm fashioning this mud solution from the dirt, Remember that it is God who does miraculous things with dirt. So it may have been a way that he's trying to indicate, remember, this, this, is, this is who I am. I'm God. Only God makes powerful things work out of dirt. The other reason I think it is likely that he used this method is because I think that Jesus did not want to restrict his miraculous powers to one specific formula. Otherwise, we would always try to repl- replicate it. You know, if, if the way that he always healed everybody was through a mud solution, I guarantee you there would be a denomination today called First Church of the Mud. <laughs> there just would, because all of a sudden everybody would be, well, that's the way, that's the one way Jesus did it. So every time now we're going to try to heal someone in the name of Jesus and we're going to use mud. We're going we're gonna to pack them down with mud. And Jesus would do things differently so that we wouldn't always just kind of approach him as this canned one way. You know, God does powerful, miraculous things, but he wasn't just wanting to be pigeonholed here. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he touched and healed. Sometimes he makes a, a solution out of mud. But nevertheless, this is how he provides healing for this guy. And he tells the guy to go wash himself. So they're in the temple court area. The pool of Siloam is not too far away. But you have to imagine this guy, you know, he's, he's still stumbling around, mud on his eyes, washing. And try to imagine he's been blind how long? What did verse 1 say? From birth. This man has never seen in his life. We can't even imagine that. I don't remember the first day that I have a, a remembrance of seeing you know, as we, as if, if you have sight and you're born into the world, you know, you, you just start seeing, but you don't remember that moment. This guy remembers the moment. And, and, and you have to just imagine this incredible moment here where he's washing out his eyes, splashing up water, and opening his eyes for the first time, and he can see. Now, he hasn't seen Jesus, because Jesus is going to slip away here, the man went and washed his eyes, so he's not yet seen Jesus. He's going to see him a little bit later in the story here, but so he he goes and he he washes and he came home seeing there at the end of verse 7. And you got to believe that his family, for the first time, pretty excited and for him to see his family for the very first time. So he goes to him seeing. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now, yeah, I, I chuckle when I read this because I think to myself, either the people around this blind guy just were not caring individuals enough that they could recognize him. It's kind of the idea that, because most blind beggars would sit at the city gate because that was the place where people would come and go, and you'd have to beg for a living. You had no way of making an income, and so you typically would beg for a living. So people were coming and going and see this guy all day long, every day, sitting at the city gates begging. And as they walked by, did they not focus on him? Did they not notice him such that when they see him now, why shouldn't they know clearly? Oh, yeah, you're the guy that's been blind all your whole life. Either they are completely clueless because they're uncaring or maybe we should cut him a break. Maybe it's the idea that this guy is so much out of context, they just don't recognize him at all. You know, all of a sudden, the guy who was blind and usually just sitting around and probably begging is now conversing with them, seeing, having conversation. Maybe it's because he's so out of context they don't recognize him. It happens to me sometimes. I can tell you when I go around town, I'm in, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, I'm in a baseball cap and cut off shorts, you know, just shorts and a T-shirt. And people are like, is that you, Pastor Gary? It's like, don't you look at me? You know, that you would, oh, okay, you're out of context. You got the baseball hat, okay, the whole deal. So, all right, so I get maybe what's going on here. They just don't recognize the guy because he's completely out of context. But he's insisting, I am the guy. I am the man. Well, verse 10, how then were your eyes opened? They demanded. Now, this is not a friendly group of people here, okay? Notice their first question. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, I'm putting some tone in there because I'm thinking that the conversation's getting sassy. Maybe it's just me, and I have to apologize to the people, but I think he's getting frustrated because he's first like, yes, I am the guy. And they're like, well, where is Jesus? We want to. Now, why might I think that he's frustrated in their question? Because this guy's been born blind. He can now see, and he's convincing them he is the guy. And instead of them saying, wow, this is incredible, you can see. They're like, we're not really sure it's you. And where is the Jesus then anyway? They're not even like excited for him. They're not even enthused for him. So I think he's personally like, I don't know where he is. Well, they brought to the Pharisees, verse 13, to show you how friendly the crowd is. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Okay, so now we know why they're sour here. Verse 15, Before, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Now, do you see what's happening here? So there's an offense taken because a miracle occurred on the Sabbath, which Jesus typically did. And I think, you know, on purpose to try to pry them from their, you know, legalism, that the Sabbath was, 
you know, made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a day of rest, but it's not a day where you stop all good to mankind. And Jesus loves doing good to people all the time, even on the Sabbath day. There's no violation of the do not work clause on the Sabbath when Jesus heals somebody. But the Pharisees thought so. You're not supposed to do any work. You heal this blind guy. You, you must be a sinner. And so they, they're having the conversation with the blind guy who's now seeing. I should, probably shouldn't call him the blind guy, but he doesn't have a name. He's a seeing guy now. And they're having a conversation with the seeing guy. And they're like, well, how'd you get your eyesight? Well, Jesus did it. Well, this isn't right. It's the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. Others were divided. Like, wait a minute. If he's a sinner, how would God do a miracle through the guy? The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know